0: This podcast is sponsored by Chargeify. Chargify provides specialized billing and data management tools to give B2B SaaS companies the competitive edge. Over the past 12 years, Chargify has partnered with champions in SaaS like SpendSpark, Mailgun, Connect, and Earthclass Mail to streamline their billing processes, build and nurture lasting relationships with customers, and strategically optimize their organizations for long-term growth chargeify's innovative software empowers every B2B SaaS company to step into the future of billing. Visit chargeify.com forward slash sasdoc to learn more. If you're one of the world's nearly 1 billion spreadsheet users, you're likely familiar with the time-consuming effort that goes into formatting, emailing, and sharing your spreadsheets. That's exactly why Grid is here to help. Grid is a no-code web tool that transforms your important spreadsheet data into compelling visual narratives and interactive web documents. If you use spreadsheets to construct complex growth models, revenue projections, or strategic analysis, Grid will give you your work that wow factor. Grid lets your team interact with your spreadsheet models, compare scenarios, and share them securely in minutes. With Grid, you'll never email another spreadsheet again. Sign up for free at www.grid.is. That's G-R-I-D dot i s
1: focus on customers which everyone knows that's what you should do early on but still i'm surprised how how many startups and kind of still feel like ah yeah but i'm just now scaling the the business very early on so i think really understanding customers problems spending time as a founder yourself and really taking rather maybe half a year longer until you raise your first seed round but having spent having that time in the beginning where you not have to run a large organization, have to take all of this decision about how to organize a team and so on, but really have time with your, your co-founders and focusing on the customers and discussing their problems and spending time on calls with them. I think is something that, that's been really helpful.
0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the SaaS Revolution show brought to you by Talk, the conference that helps SaaS companies get traction, growth, and scale. I'm your host, Alex Thuma and I'll be looking at what it really takes to build and grow a SaaS company today, and how founders and entrepreneurs stay healthy on the journey. Now on with the show. Today's guest is Hanno Renner, CEO, and co-founder at Bessonio. So Hanno, like, you, you founded or co-founded Bessonio 2015. Uh, I think we first met probably 2016, right? Um, was it 2015 or 2016 in, in Paris? Um so very kind of similar time we started building the companies uh, at the same time.
1: Yeah, it might have been early 2016 and then I think uh yeah it was before your first edition of Sasta grad. Right?
0: Yeah, 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 it, it, exactly. So we have we've grown at slightly different trajectories but I I'm I'm okay with that. Um but, uh, but, but before Personio um uh, tell us a little bit about what entrepreneurial traits uh, that you had uh and like what what age did you really know that you wanted to found your your own business so I wouldn't say i
1: I've, I've kind of known that from an early age I come from a, a, a par, like two parents being teachers so the the entrepreneurial journey hasn't ever been uh or at an, at an early stage, age didn't really feel like a career option um but then kind of uh, i guess over time during uh, during my university studies I've got more and more uh, in touch impressed by, by sort of startups and, and uh, kind of the change uh, young technology companies can bring. And then during my time uh, in Munich studying at CDTM, which is a center of digital technology and management, uh, which is a very interdisciplinary program from the two big universities in Munich, uh, I got to, on the one hand, uh, meet a bunch of great people, including my co-founders, but also got to see a couple of startups that had been founded from alumni. And I think the main thing I learned there, which I wasn't aware of before, was how easy it is to actually start a company, even in Germany, where I think the administrative hurdles are the highest <laughs> amongst Europe, but still starting a company is fairly easy. Everything that comes beyond that, growing it, scaling it, uh, there's a lot of challenges al- uh, along the way, but starting a company is actually quite easy. And I think that was, was an interesting one uh, for me to, um, to discover and, and uh, something I got excited by. I think when, when you talk about trades, i um, not sure what what traits I, I did to bring in early age but I do think that what uh, has been uh, sort of true uh, at an early age uh, I was always open in doing things I've, I've kind of was slightly or I was enjoying being slightly uncomfortable with things I didn't know yet, things that I hadn't done before yet and um, so it's sort of starting starting new things and um, I think that's, that's something that's definitely helping uh, when you're starting and growing a company because you're constantly doing things you don't You've never done and you don't know about, so I think that's a trait that's probably helpful when selling a company.
0: And and, and so now Personio is is six years old, and uh, I think as was it as of January twenty twenty one or January twenty twenty. I should know this, but you, you have evaluation of one point seven billion. Can you clarify? Was it this year or, or last year?
1: Yeah, we, we announced early this year. That the round was closed pre Christmas last year, but yeah, roughly around that time frame.
0: Thanks for that. And and so now, uh, and we have actually been for the last couple of years one of Europe's, uh, you know, hyper-growth SaaS uh, companies and, uh, uh, you know, of, of note of recent times. So is, is that when, you know, when you started the company, did you kind of really expect that sort of trajectory and, 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 and such a vast growth? Uh, and then why do you think you've been able to achieve, you know, such growth uh, and such impressive, uh, I guess, kind of like results in, in, in a very short period of time?
1: Yeah, so I think it would be kind of, uh, yeah, lying to say that we would have known the trajectory from the beginning. I think no startup knows uh, that, and it's always, of course, an assumption. You don't start a company uh, if you if you don't assume that there's an opportunity and, and you also uh, assume that this is the right time to exactly found that company. Um, but I think a lot of the time then and proof you write uh, later on where, of course, it looks good that you've been the one knowing that at the time. but. Uh, But at the same time, similar as companies like Spotify, uh, Daniel, I think, didn't know history uh, in the future at the time when he founded Spotify and still he nailed the timing there. So I think we also uh, were were lucky enough that we started a really good time uh, for that company. And uh, we still, um, at that time when we started the company in 2015-16, wrote down uh, one the goal of becoming Europe's leading HR. Platform for SMEs, which we're still pursuing today, and I think are, are on good track so far. But also build a business uh, model uh, that we're, and that's more probably also a bit luck than uh, than foresight, uh, but that we're tracking very well against. So uh, you could say we, we have planned a lot of what we've uh, what has happened since, but I think uh, a lot of that also just happened to yeah, develop in the right direction, and and not everything uh, was was or foreseeable. Um, I do think when it comes to what has helped us on that journey is certainly and that sounds a bit counterintuitive but the fact that we uh, me and my co-founders were all first-time entrepreneurs and starting the company right out of university actually helped us to start that uh, start a company and to, to grow it quickly because we were so naive in a lot of things that we really took a lot of advice very literal and there's some easy things like uh, People are the most important factor of your company's success, so you should make sure that you really only hire the best people. And we then very early on thought, like, well, I guess if it's such a common known wisdom. Everyone would do that very literally. So uh, we put in a a process in place that really helped us select great talent. And it's it's still something which we're doing today, but we've been very, uh, I guess, strict about it early on but less because we we knew that's the recipe of success, but because we thought everyone else would be doing the same. And I think a lot of these, uh, yeah, things where we were quite naive on uh, and where we felt we had to compensate our lack of experience uh, by taking them very literal and and being really strict about things um, has helped us uh, be successful.
0: Amazing. And let's talk a little bit about obviously your role, you know, as a founder. uh, And I I guess obviously that, you you know, that. develops and grows, you know, over time. Um, be, but given that it's the first time that you're being a founder um, and through this, this, this experience, what, what is it that you really love uh, uh, about being a founder? Uh, and then also on the flip side, is there anything that you don't really like uh, about being a founder as well?
1: So I think what I really enjoy about my role is the constant change. And I often refer to it as being thrown into cold water. And then the water never getting warm, and you're constantly kind of tre- treading that that pool of cold water, and it just uh, keeps being sort of new because by the time you figured out how to how to steer a company that 300 people, you might be 600 people, and by the time you've you've learned all the things that you need there, uh, the company's grown again, and I think that's that's really exciting. That's something I personally really enjoy. Um, I think maybe one thing I, which is a bit uh, frustrating at uh, as the company grows, is that um, we're now. Uh, a little bit over 700 uh, people in the, uh, in the team, and especially people that join newer, that, have, that don't get as much exposure to you because you don't work with them directly. Uh, oftentimes, kind of are a bit, almost I wouldn't say scared, but kind of uh, have a, have a certain amount of distance. Um, with uh, to you because they assume you're you're the CEO you're the founder and, and they can't approach you the same way they can other colleagues and that uh, I think it's something which is is really hard uh, to avoid um, I guess at least I haven't found a, a good way for it yet but it's something I would love to to be able to work uh, in the same manner with everyone in the company still as as it was when we were smaller. And I was just, the last couple of weeks, uh, we talked briefly about it in the beginning, um, in, in Madrid, in our office there, and that the office there is much smaller, it's only 60 people, so it feels much more like an early stage startup, and especially in the current days, there's only around 20 to 30 in the office. There, the feeling was a lot different, and for, for there even newer people, for them, I felt much more approachable, because it was just around, and they would meet me much more often uh, than it is in Munich, where, at least outside of pandemic times, there's five, five 600 people, uh, that they don't all know me as well. And I think that's something I would love to change.
0: If we go back to the beginning then, uh, uh, and the, the you, there's, there's four co-founders, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, so how did you get together? How did you meet your co-founders uh, and then come up with the idea uh, for Personio? What's the founding story? I think the,
1: the founding story, wouldn't say, uh, Unusual is probably the wrong word because every founding story is unusual. We got to know each other at that program I referred to earlier in Munich at CDTM. Um, that's where we met together as a team. And the idea around Personio was actually ca- coming from another friend of ours that also uh, was an alumni of that same program, but was a CTO at a, a 100-person business at a time. And, and he had exactly the same uh, challenge uh, as, as we found out many other companies have uh, that uh, managing their people data in Excel sheets and, and a lot of these processes which were very cumbersome and, and had created a lot of overhead for him. And that's where uh, we realized that that's, that's an opportunity where we can democratize some of the benefits software has given the enterprise towards the SMEs and towards uh, the mid-market companies. And I think I said it was where the, kind of the initial insight and idea came from.
0: In terms of the initial go to market for you, uh, I, I guess two questions. One. Uh, am I am I right in if i remember correctly did did you just focus initially on the german market and then expand into different european territories uh, and then also just elaborate in terms of like your, your initial like go to market at a high level what was it and, and you know how how were the results uh, of that yeah
1: so we uh, initially uh, the very the first 100 customers was was really uh, for the, the classical founder-led uh, hustling sales of trying to get introductions from all your friends to hr people in then at work and so on and then trying to meet with them and trying to convince them and <laughs> it's less selling i guess than then really convincing and and uh, t- talking them into using your product and of course paying for it as well so you actually get proper feedback and then um, working with these early customers to to learn uh, but why uh, because you work so closely with these early customers they um, then hopefully uh, become happy customers. They also demanding customers, and, and they realize that there's a lot of things you still need to and have to build. But uh, they they then refer you to a lot of other companies, and that's I think where, where go to market initially for us was a lot about referrals as well. And then we started uh, laying on inbound uh, sales uh, with with kind of a couple of uh, marketing led inbound channels. And uh, only around one and a half years ago, we started doing uh, outbound as well, which uh, today sort of we're half-half uh, inbound, outbound. And uh, and, and the out, our outbound engine is very much uh, bolstered by our content efforts, which we've been uh, doing quite consistently over the years. Um, and uh, when it comes to, uh, to kind of how we've, uh, we've done, is kind of gone from a regional player towards the international, we've uh, indeed initially focused on the German market for quite a while. And I think why we always had a plan of becoming Europeans category leading player for the SME HR market. We initially realized that like growing too fo- uh, too early in too many markets would defocus us on our efforts. So we really want to make sure that the German market is, is this kind of humming machine or the Dach, Dach market, uh, which just kind of spins off uh, customers and. a, on a more or less predictable way, uh, which are happy and w- which we still, of course, invest a lot into, but we can afford to also dedicating some of our product and engineering resources towards other markets and uh, and also organizational focus towards growing these new markets. And then we ended uh, started entering UK, Benelux, Nordics and Spain in the first wave, and then soon after uh, France uh, and Italy in the second wave. And those are the countries we're active in today and uh, that are picking up a lot of speed right now
0: how how early on um you know did you raise vc did you did you always and like when you came together with the co-founders and uh um you know created the the the, the products and uh, you know launched did you always know that you you were going to go down that vc path um and uh yeah and then how early on did you raise vc and then manage that that interest
1: yeah. So we, to, to be completely honest, uh, at the time when we found the company, uh, I didn't even know what the difference between VC and PE, and, and, and didn't understand their business models. Um, but we we had uh, we were bootstrapped for around a year. So we started next to university, and then early on got some first paying clients, and then started uh, and bootstrap the business uh, for a while uh, mm-hmm. on a kind of cash flow positive motion whenever we. We hired a new employee when we had a couple of pre prepaying customers signed on again. And um, and then at some point uh, in 2016, we realized that uh, now was the time where we actually could do uh, a lot more and not just you can always do more, more money, but, but it felt uh, sensible because we felt we had understood the market well enough. We felt uh, we were at a point in time where really now money was a limiting factor for Additional growth and additional benefit and value we could create to our customers by both increasing the customer success uh, teams and resources early on, but also of course investing more into our product. And that's when we in twenty sixteen uh, raised our first seed round, um, and uh, yeah, then continued uh, what you just called down the down the VC route since.
0: And some of the VCs uh, I, I guess uh, that have backed you and that are in in your corner as such, like the, the likes of. North Zone Index, Axel, um, you know some others as well, like you know some of the best in in the business, and uh, you, you know you in Europe, but also globally. Um, so that's obviously a testament to uh, you know the the, the company and, uh, and yourself. But what what have you learned from working with them?
1: So I think one of the the benefits um, and. and uh, we're very lucky to, uh, to be able to work with, uh, with such amazing uh, funds as well and mainly also of course the people behind them is uh, and I've only learned to appreciate and uh, now that I also uh, have done a couple of angel investments and then uh, of course know a lot of friends that have started companies as well where not always uh, the VCs are at the same, same kind of uh, class of, of types of investors uh, is that... Uh, Counterintuitively, I feel that the the smarter investors are and the the better the VCs, the less they try, they think they know your business better. So they they have all a ton of experience and a ton of insight and and we constantly, of course, learn from uh, from them. They challenge us on some things, especially also by connecting us with other companies in the business, but they don't believe, they always, I think their general uh, belief is always you're you're the founder or you're the founding team or you're the uh, the leadership team of a company, you should know that company best. So we can only give you hints. We can only show some patterns, but essentially you should make the calls. And uh, we never had to defend ourselves for if we wanted to do something in a certain way. And I think that's been really helpful. And that kind of time and, and energy that some founders have to spend on convincing their VCs on something that just makes a lot of sense to them is I think something which we didn't have to spend as much because we had uh, investors trust, them, trust us but still I think we've, we've of course uh, there were a lot of opportunities where we, we could talk through things a lot of things where, where they've helped us also uh, hire the right uh, talent in the executive team uh, help us uh, connect us with their other funds uh, their other portfolio companies that had gone through that journey already and so they've, there's countless of these, these areas where they've helped us think through stuff but they've never felt they have to overrule a decision, or I mean, legally, they can't really overrule something, but they also did never felt like they had to influence us in a certain way. And um, that's been really nice.
0: You brought in Lars Dalgaard, who was the, uh, the founding CEO of SuccessFactors, uh, which uh, I, I believe they went public, but well, I know, I know they, they got acquired from SAP, right? Um, and uh, actually, on, on, a, on a day, I mean, like today, I think U, UiPath. Uh, have just gone public and we're seeing uh, a a lot more European unicorns and European IPOs. And so it's a great, I think there's a real real kind of healthy state of the European SaaS market uh, uh, sort of right now. But like uh, a few years ago when when Lars was doing SuccessFactors, they were one of kind of the, the few European uh, SaaS IPOs or, or and certainly so large, large exits, right? R- why did you bring Lars in, and what have you learned from him in, in particular?
1: Yeah, so I think um, clearly the, uh, his experience building and growing success factors, uh, bring them to an IPO, and then all the way through the through the, the acquisition of, of SAP later on, um, is of course a journey where he's, he's uh, with which is on one hand outside of the acquisition of SAP, something we aspire as well to build a long lasting. Um, company that, that eventually goes public uh, but also growing that to that stage uh, and there he's um, he's of course brought a lot of experience and the fact that he knows the HR space uh, well from success factors although they were focused on the enterprise certainly also helped, that was how we initially got connected but I think the real Reason for, for asking him to, to come on board and, and uh, asking him to, to invest was really because we also personally connected very well. And um, I think we've established a friendship since, uh, since where we really enjoy catching up and enough, uh, and, and uh, kind of, yeah, that, that's I think always helpful for also then discussing uh, deeper issues and, and topics and getting advice. I think one of the biggest learnings I got from, from some of the conversation with Lars was that of not lying to yourself. And sounds like a very obvious statement, but I've uh, I've really kind of become to re- realize it's important over time that there's oftentimes where you can kind of look at a, at, an, at metrics in a certain way and kind of make yourself believe that they're actually trending the right way and that actually there's a good reason why this is that way and so on. And and uh, of course, in the leadership team and the company, like you can always kind of make yourself feel more comfortable uh, by, by sort of this little, like not lying to yourself in terms of, a business exploding when it's when it's going downhill but these little things of what's what's going wrong what isn't and uh, i think that's uh, is that the person the right person in the uh, in the, in the in current role or not and you just keep him because he's really he or she is, is a really nice person and i think all of these these little lies that you sometimes tell yourself as a founder um, are are things that um that you you really need need to try to avoid and, and to try to keep yourself honest uh, which uh, because then you can still Take one or the other decision, but you take it based on on an honest assessment. I think that was one of the biggest learnings I got from last.
0: And what about um, the learnings that you've just had along the uh, the way in your journey so far? Anything that you've learned necessarily the hard way? Uh, you, you know, any of the, like the the, the challenges, or uh, like you, you know, maybe some of the mistakes, or just kind of some some difficult kind of learn learnings that that uh, that that you've had that that you can uh, share yeah so i think
1: we 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 have to be honest to ourselves that uh, we never had a a really uh, that we were lucky enough that we never had a really bad period where Pisoni was was going downhill um so i think uh, that's that's uh, just as a disclaimer up front nevertheless while we uh, were lucky enough then to as you mentioned attract some great investors and of course capital for them uh, to grow. There were periods of time where we could have grown a lot faster and could have produced a lot more uh, product progress with uh, also having enough capital in the bank, but just not being able to hire high-quality talent at the rate we needed it in order to support that growth despite having the money. And That first sound, sounds counterintuitive, uh, but I think one of the learnings we, we realized then was that we at the time, as an HR company, of course, early on invested into a people function, but we've Always had had these roles combined uh, with internal people and talent acquisition in one one person, or then at some point multiple person that shared that role. But if you have this combination, you always have the this tendency that um, the the internal HR problems and people problems that occur. Seem to be much more urgent to the person, which of course someone needs to take care of of the people you have in the business, which totally makes sense. But that also then uh, prevents them a lot from actually focusing on talent acquisition. And um, I think on the one hand then splitting up those roles, and then on the other hand at some point split them up further into talent uh, sources and uh, talent coordinators and so on as well. But really building up that talent muscle, I think, is one of the most important things because if you truly believe in people are your most valuable resource. Uh, and you getting the the right quality of talent and, and colleagues into the business that fit your culture and you want to have a high bar then you have to also build um, a great talent function to bring in that talent to help you find, identify people that not only can help you because they can do the skills uh, they have the skills required for a certain role but also because they fit your culture and um, by now I we with uh, close to 40 a talent acquisition manager and we're looking to hire a lot more so if anyone on the call uh, looking is looking for at a talent acquisition manager or sourcer role uh we're we're hiring heavily there but but I think that's was a was a big learning for us where we had periods of time where we just couldn't grow as much or build as much product as we would have wished because we just couldn't find enough high quality talent
0: what about the 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 biggest successes around you, you know maybe some of the key decisions that you've made i mean clearly The kind of like the focus around talent and people early on has been one. Um, But outside of that, when you look back uh, at some like key decisions you made in terms of and how they've been instrumental to Personio's growth so far, can you share maybe one or two of uh, of those that you can kind of think of?
1: Yeah, I think maybe one that's more a theme than an individual decision, but, but one that involved many decisions and I think one that, that helps us a lot and is probably applicable to other companies as well, is I believe there's a certain misconception between startups being combined with all this creative chaos, chaos, where there's an ended process is all corporate and enterprise. And in the startup, you just kind of get smart people together and they all figure it out. And that works up to a certain point. But uh, I've, uh, I've heard and, and we've learned from a lot of our customers that are, where startups are themselves, that they, they have then tried to grow in this creative chaos, which then at some point automatically breaks when you're 50 or when you're 80 or when you're 100 because you don't have an arc structure, you don't have a clear mission uh, where people work towards. Again, you don't have clear uh, goals or an OKR-setting process to align people around uh, what success looks like, how you all want to contribute to things. And I think that's, again, one of the things where we were quite naive about initially because we thought everyone would be religiously working with OKRs, everyone would be religiously about transparency and updating the team every Friday in the all-team meeting and so on, because that's just something we heard somewhere and, uh, of course, got advice from some people. And uh, taking these things very serious early on and, and establishing this structure, this processes and uh, constantly improving on them has helped us never coming into this this big road bump where all of a sudden your organization structure breaks or you don't uh, people don't know what they're working on, two people working on the same thing and so on. And I think really early on when we have five people starting to work with OKRs, establishing the rhythms of, uh, of uh, weekly all-team meetings, uh, creating a, a core purpose, a strategic vision, missions for each department, all of these things, creating them when they're very easy to create because you're a small team, and then scaling them, and creating that muscle of constantly improving them, constantly getting better on them, is something which I think has really helped us throughout the years, um, never getting to this, this yeah, huge huge chaos. And uh, I think that's that's one thing which uh, we jointly uh, did early on and has helped us grow since.
0: What about you personally? Uh, then, in terms of your top tips for uh, peak performance, uh, obviously, it's you know uh, it, it, it's a very tough job being a CEO. Also, you know, uh, maybe it's uh, even harder uh, as being a CEO of a hyper-growth company. Uh, you know, potentially how how do you, how do you remain like a peak performer and avoid like you know burnout stay present and 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 just bring you, you know your best self uh into the company and for your team you, you know each uh, each day
1: so i think one of the things um that that helped me and uh where i again was probably lucky that my personality isn't i need to be continuing to controlling everything as, uh, everything and i was had a, an easier time letting go of areas when there was great people uh, running them being responsible for them, and that's certainly one of the things where I think every person, no matter what what they do outside of their work, at some point breaks physically um, when they are trying to to overstretch themselves on just continue to control everything when they're growing to fifty, a hundred, two hundred people and being involved in everything. So you just I think creating that structure I just talked about, but on also providing that trust and ownership into other people that you don't have to be involved in some areas and thereby really kind of redefining your own mission as well, communicating that to people saying this is what in the current state of the company I believe my role as a CEO of Personio should be and this is how I try to best fulfill that role and these are the things which I trust uh, other people that have their own missions to do well. So I think that's that's the, I guess, pre-phase uh, which I would say is, is important for any, any founder. And then beyond that, I think it's very individual, of course, what, what you enjoy, what, what helps you stay sane. For me, it's certainly a lot of sports, which I try to do uh, once a day in some shape or form. Um, it's it's doing, doing stuff with, with friends uh, outdoors, uh, primarily. These kind of things have been things that, that helped me. I also started um, journaling quite uh, regularly, uh, mostly daily, actually, um, which really also helped kind of, on that reflections and planning out your weeks, focusing yourself on, on what matters um, as well as, and that's I think a combination I usually do in one. Uh, that I first uh, in the morning meditate, then journal around the day, and then that's already a good start at least for me personally. That works fairly well.
0: Definitely, uh, I mean, similarly on, on my side. And actually, only really in the last year, I've brought in a routine where uh, I try an exercise first thing in the morning, al- almost almost immediately after I've woken up. I need a a little bit of time to you know properly. Uh, sort of wake up um and then there's the kind of meditation and reading um and I, I haven't quite got to the journaling uh sort of part yet but uh, uh it, it's definitely something that um i i i'm looking to add into uh, the daily routine uh to to improve performance um final question uh Hanno, like what what advice you know would you give to those um that uh you know that are listening that are looking to start their own founder journey or they're already early on in that path and maybe they're kind of looking to get to their first million in revenue uh, or 10 million in revenue. What what advice would you give?
1: I would give two advice. On the one hand, what I said early on, really a lot of the stuff is out there and, and you've probably read and heard it a lot of times in a ton of books and blogs and uh, and podcasts, but really taking these things very seriously. So one of the other areas which we haven't talked about is, is this fo- focus on customers, which everyone knows that's what you should do early on. But still, I'm surprised how how many startups and kind of still feel like, ah, oh, yeah, but I'm just now scaling the, the business very early on without um, and you can get uh, investment money very early on right now and you can scale, try to scale something uh, without really focusing on your customers just because you have the money uh, to to pour, uh, pour it on marketing channels and so on. So I think really understanding the customer's problems, spending time as a founder yourself and really taking rather maybe half a year longer until you raise your first seed round. But having spent having that time in the beginning where you not have to run a large organization, have to take all of this decision about how to organize a team and so on, but really have time with your, your co-founders and focusing on the customers on discussing their problems and spending time in calls with them, I think is something that, that's been really helpful. On the other thing, the other piece of advice I would say is don't take any advice too serious like so talk to general things and take them serious but but if other people provide you with advice that's specific to your business don't assume that, that they know things better we for example had some some advice early on around how we should not build such a broad product but rather stay focused on one area and we luckily disregarded that advice and um, not because we knew better but because we felt that's what the customers wanted and that has made us successful so i think Take general advice serious, like focusing on customers, on your people, um, and um, and a lot of these areas, but don't take uh, advice from experienced people, even from myself, on your specific business, not as serious, but take it with a grain of salt and decide whether you maybe know better because you know your business and the industry and everything else better.
0: There's some great advice there on not taking uh, uh, everybody's advice, um, but it it, it is uh, certainly uh, um a uh, a good a uh, a good tip there for sure everybody's business is is different and uh, there, there are so many different um uh, i think paths for uh, for people out there um but uh, but with that i mean it, it's been fantastic uh, speaking to you uh, first time on, uh, uh, on 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 clubhouse of, of course and i uh, i'm looking forward to speaking to you in in person when uh, when we can hopefully in dublin or uh, or, or in germany um, but uh, thank you so much. Where can people find you uh, online uh, if they want to learn more about uh, you or follow you?
1: Sometimes post on, on LinkedIn, but uh, I think that uh, we also share a lot of advice uh, via our Personio blog. Uh, so the, the inside Personio blog is probably where not just myself, but all of people share uh, experience and advice on Personio. So that's probably the, the best uh, area I would, would point
0: you to. Awesome. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Hannah Renner, CEO and co-founder at Personio. Looking forward to uh, continuing seeing your path. SASDOC you potentially could still catch up with the growth trajectory, but um, I'm not holding out too much hope. But yeah, it's been a, a great speaking to you and thank you so much once again.
1: Thank you, Alex. Thanks. Pleasure as usual and look forward to seeing you soon at SASDOC or elsewhere. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Anna Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the SAS Revolution Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash events to find all the upcoming sasdoc conferences around the world.